as we continue, we're going to pick it up in chapter 10 here. Chapters 7 through 10, Jeremiah is standing at the gate of the house of the Lord, and he's given this message to the people that were coming in and they were bringing in idols and they were setting up their idols. They were involved in as he is going to call them on their false worship, their false idols, their false uh, hope and confidence. They were saying it's peace, peace. Nothing's going to happen to us. We have the temple here. And they were also giving heed to the false prophets and teachers that were on the scene. So it is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, that is weeping as he gives the message. But also we see that the Lord was weeping as well. He's calling his people back to him, uh, to turn back to him, to follow after him. Why are you going after the idols? Because those idols will not help you. Those idols are not real. I am the true and the living God. And that's the message that we're going to see as we continue in chapter 10, moving into chapter 11. And as Jeremiah is given that message, it's probably during the time, because when we get into Jeremiah chapter 26, there's going to be some very similar words that Jeremiah is speaking during the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, as you know, that Jeremiah, he ministered for about 40 years. And in his 40 years of ministry, it is not recorded that there was one person that turned to the Lord. There's no converts. And, and I find that interesting. There was somebody who asked me yesterday, they said, should we continue to give the gospel to those who are non-believers? And yes, we are. And Jeremiah, even though he would be frustrated and he would be persecuted, there's one time that we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to say, I'm not going to speak the word of the Lord anymore. I am done. And then he says that, but I couldn't keep it in that the word of God burned in my heart. And what I hope is that you and I have a, a good case of heartburn <laughs> for the word of God as it touches our hearts, but a heart for people as we continue to minister. Because one can plant, the other can water, but God gets the increase. And so we want to continue to give the gospel to others, the truth of God's word, and then we trust the Lord with that. And he's the one that's responsible for the results. So here is Jeremiah ministering at a time when their hearts were very, very hard. And he would begin his ministry during the reign of Josiah. And as we have discussed before, that Josiah was the last of the godly kings of Judah. He comes on the scene as you read in Second Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 34, uh, at the ripe old age of eight. He's only eight years old when he's the king of Judah. And the Lord began to move on his heart and, and stir his heart in the eighth year of his reign. He's only 16 years old. And he began to, to tear down the places of false worship. He began to uh, take down the high places, the wooden images, the carve images, the molded images images. He broke down the altars. All these things that you read about in Second Chronicles chapter 34. They broke down the altars of the Baals. Baal worship was very big. It had been very big in the house of Israel. The ten northern tribes, they worshiped Baal. Uh, he cut down the wooden images, the carved images, broke them in pieces. And he also, it's interesting, when you read Second Chronicles chapter 34, and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. I find that interesting because those tribes that I just mentioned 
are according to the house of Israel. Remember that about 80 years prior to this, that Josiah was ruling, that the Assyrians had come in in 722 BC and taken the 10 northern tribes off into captivity. And so some of the Assyrians came down, uh, some of the Jews were left, uh, and they intermarried with the Jews. And so their offspring was called the Samaritans. And we're going to talk about that when we go through Matthew's gospel about the Samaritans. And, and that's for a later date. But, but here is Josiah. that He is tearing down those places of false wor- worship, clear up north by the Sea of Galilee, up in that area that was uh, at one time the 10 northern tribes of Israel. And then in the 18th year of his reign, he purged the land. And he calls for the priests and he says, I want you guys to to cleanse the temple. I want you to clean it up. So when they cleaned it up, all of a sudden they found a book of the law under the trash, buried in the corner somewhere. And that amazes me because all of a sudden this book of the law, there was not a copy in all the land. That's how far they have gotten away from the Lord. And they blow the dust off of it. And here comes, uh, you know, Hilkiah who found it. He gives it to a scribe. And we know that Safnan, the scribe, he read it to Josiah. And his heart was pierced with the word of God, with the law of God, that he tore his clothes. And he said, so wonder that we're going through the difficulties and the trials because we have forsaken the Lord. And you see, there's something there for us as well. You see, a lot of people, they will bury their Bible under the other books and, you know, it's on the nightstand, it collects dust, and we're not reading the word of the Lord. And I pray that we were always ones that we take it and read it and allow it to touch our hearts and quicken our hearts. And so Josiah, he calls for these spiritual reforms. He, he calls for temple worship to be restored, the priestly ministry and the Levites. And as you go on through chapter 35 of Second Chronicles, that it's interesting, he calls for the Passover to be observed. And, and I want to read to you that there had been no Passover in, in chapter 35 of 2 Chronicles, verse 18, that was kept in Israel like since the days of Samuel the prophet, and none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with all the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel, who were present and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I I take note of that because I think about there hasn't been a Passover like the one that Josiah called for since the days of, of Samuel the prophet. That's right at the end of the day of of judges. And I would have thought if anyone would have really was into the Passover and celebrating the Passover and making it a really uh, big and important and and priority uh, in their ministry, it would have been David. David who had a heart after God or Solomon when the nation was together. Now, it doesn't mean that David or Solomon didn't have the people celebrate Passover, but as I recall, as I go through those historical books, there's no mention of them celebrating a Passover. So it's kind of an interesting note, and, and here is Josiah who had a heart for the Lord and the ways of the Lord, but what happened was that it was superficial. It was in pretense. The people still had the idols that were in their hearts. So Josiah ends up, as you move into 
you know, chapter 36, after the death of Josiah, he's killed by Necho, king of Egypt, but in the valley of Megiddo. Then the last kings of Judah are wicked kings. And here is Jeremiah. He, in chapter 26, is given that message at the house of the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was an evil king, and the people fell right back into idol worship. So I have a tendency to think that chapters 7 through 10, that Jeremiah is preaching during that time. Uh, the people had a form of religiousness, but we have seen the atmosphere of the nation spiritually. They were given over to covetousness. They were greedy. Uh, they were tripping their brothers up to get ahead and and take advantage of people. They were ones that were committing adultery and every kind of false thing that they were worshiping. And we see that continue as we now go into chapter 10, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. So here that uh, as Jeremiah is concluding this message from chapter 7, uh, to chapter 10, he addresses uh, the occultic practices that they were involved in. Uh, they were worshiping the moon, the stars. Uh, they were looking at astrology that is to guide them to, um, you know, looking at that um, in ancient times. You know that those of the East, uh, we're going to read about the Magi coming from the east to uh, Bethlehem as they saw the star of Jesus. But th these guys were worshiping the sun, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. They, they were worshiping the moon. They were worshiping the stars. They were looking to the stars to guide them and, and um, to tell the future and things like that. We are told as Christians that we are to stay away from that. You see, we worship the creator, not the creation, right? And so we today, we have people that really get into zodiac signs and they get into horoscopes. We're not to do that. We're not to, to be involved in those things. But I, I do want to say this, that we also, as we are going to continue, they're going to uh, be indicted for bringing in trees and worshiping them. And, and uh, we'll read that in just a minute. But one of the things that we as Christians, I think in a day that we are in, that we want to be careful because there's a lot of voices out there that are looking for signs. <coughs> One of the things that we saw uh, a couple years ago, there was a lot of, uh, maybe it was last year, that it was all over social media, it was in the news, but there was a group that was a prophecy group, uh, and you know, we're into end-time prophecy, that they were saying that the moon and the uh, the sun and the 11 stars, this constellation is going to line up, and Revelation chapter 11 is going to be fulfilled. And there was a big deal about that. And people were calling me and asking me, is Revelation chapter 11 going to be fulfilled? Now, here's the thing. We know that in the Olivet Discourse, that Jesus did say that there's going to be certain signs. There's going to be signs of earthquakes, and there's going to be famines and pestilence. Um, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, but the end has not come. These are the beginning of birth pangs. 
But we also know from Dr. Luke, when he gives his portion of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is talking about the signs of the end, he said that there'll be signs in the heaven. Now, what does that mean? We don't know exactly what that means, but it could be weather patterns as well. Um, it could be that, as we know that the book of Revelation speaks of, that uh, in the sixth seal, there's a, a cosmic disturbance uh, that takes place. We know that the day the Lord speaks of the moon that is going to turn to blood and the sun's going to be darkened, those kinds of signs. But listen, be really careful. Because there are those that are out there that will say, hey, the four blood moons, that was a big thing about five years ago. And there are those who are writing books on it and the four blood moons and judgment is coming and something amazing is going to happen or judgment is going to come to America and the four blood moons. The Bible doesn't talk about four blood moons. It talks about the moon turning to blood. And they would quote from Joel chapter 2, but what I'm saying is you got to keep everything in context. And Joel chapter 2, talking about the day of the Lord, you who are students of end time prophecy, and as we've gone through the book of Revelation, as we've gone through the book of Isaiah, that speaks of the day of the Lord, we know that the day of the Lord speaks of that time, which is called the tribulation period. And so when you take... Joel chapter 2, and you try to apply it to four blood moons that are going to take place, it's out of context. So be wise. We need to be discerning. Keep everything in context. The Bible doesn't talk about four blood moons. It talks about in the day of the Lord that the moon will turn to blood. There will be signs in heaven. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, when that came up, it was like you should know that that's not a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 11. The moon and, and the sun and the 11 stars that are going to come and, and, and line up in a certain way. Why? You should be able to answer that and say to those who are into it and, and wondering if this is a fulfillment. Revelation chapter 11 takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. Are we in the middle of the tribulation period? No, we're not. So as we keep things in context, it will keep us safe and, and we're able to minister to others the truth of God's word. And, and it just brings me to another point. As we are seeing coronavirus that, uh, that people are, are fearful of, uh, what's going to happen to our nation in the elections, the stock market has been tanking, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. And whenever there's a lot of uncertainty, like what we're seeing today, there's a lot of voices that will come out and say, thus saith the Lord. There's one guy that's in LA. He's got a fairly large following. He claims to be a prophet, and he's saying that the coronavirus is going to turn the corner. In other words, it's not going to get any worse. Listen, anyone who speaks, thus saith the Lord, better be 100% correct. Because if they claim to speak for the Lord and, and it doesn't come to pass, it means that either God made a mistake or they made a mistake. And God doesn't make mistakes. God, his word is perfect. And he sets you know, the, the qualifications of a prophet. And that is that if that prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord, then they need to be 100% accurate. Not 90%, not 80%, not half the time. So there are those who are out there that are saying, thus saith the Lord, and, and claiming to have the ministry of prophecy, they better be correct, and it better come to pass, because 
the signs that we know, the religious signs of the last days is this, that there's going to be many false teachers and false prophets that are going to be out there. And they're going to deceive many. So we are to test the spirits, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, to see if they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And how do we test the spirits? We test it through the Word of God. So that's why I commend you guys coming out as we go through the Scriptures, and as we go through it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you're going to grow in the Word of God, and you're going to grow in discernment. And these things that come blowing into the church that Christians can get all worked up over and different signs and things like that, those who are grounded in God's Word say, well, Revelation chapter 11 isn't going to be fulfilled next month. Or, you know, um, you know, that isn't true. That isn't of the scriptures because we are ones growing in the word of God. So here, these people, they didn't have the book of the law for all these years. They weren't grounded in the word of God. They weren't given to the Lord and they're being deceived by the false prophets. And here he says, you've given yourself over to worshiping, you know, the, the stars, the moons, the, the occultic practices. Verse three, for the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest and the work of the hands of the workmen of the ax. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so it will not topple. Verse 5, they are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak and they must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil nor can they do any good. So no more Christmas tree, all right? And and people read this and, and they call me every Christmas Jeremiah chapter 10, does this mean that we shouldn't have a Christmas tree? Let's keep it in context. He's talking about their idol worship. And what they were doing is they were going out, and you read this, and it reminds us of the Christmas tree. They go and they cut a tree down. They, they decorate it with silver. Uh, they, they put it upright. But here's the thing. They were worshiping those trees, and that was a big deal. That's why they had the wooden groves and stuff. They would trim the trees into images, and they were worshiping them. Now, when it comes to the Christmas tree, listen, we have liberty in Christ. And there are those that I talk to that they can't have a Christmas tree. They just can't do it in faith. In Romans chapter 14, when it talks about the law of love and the law of liberty, that Paul says that, listen, if you can't do it in faith, then it's sent to you. And there are those who, who think, well, Christmas, you know, with the Christmas tree and maybe even from Jeremiah chapter 10, uh, with the pagan background, the Yule log and all that, we just can't do that stuff. And that's okay. That's your conviction. I don't have a problem with the Christmas tree in my house. Now, if you have a Christmas tree and you're worshiping that tree, then there's a problem. But you see, here was this idol worship that was taking place. And, and he says, you know, Jeremiah is speaking the words of the Lord. Listen, that, that tree, you don't have to be afraid of them. They can't do any good. They can't do any evil. They can't do anything for you. They can't speak. They got to be carried around. So when it comes to whatever day it is, one man esteems one day above another, one man esteems every day alike, you'd be convinced in your own mind that I have no problem celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th. 
I don't have any problem having a Christmas tree in my house because I keep Jesus the center of our Christmas season and the reason for it. And I know a lot of other stuff can come in and, and cloud that and, and the commercialism and everything else. But keep him the reason for this season. And, and we are to be ones that, that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We can do it anytime. But there's nothing wrong in doing it in December. So here he's speaking to them about the, their idols. And then he's going to speak about the true and the living God. Um, but first, in verse 6, Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. From among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Verse 7 is something um, that we are to remember a truth. There is none like him. There is none like our God. And notice here that even though they had adopted the Gentile nations, their gods and the gods of the Canaanite and practices of Babylon and all this, that you are king, Lord. There is none like you. You are kings of all the nations. You're the creator of the world. He's going to go on and say, you're the creator of those stars and moon and the universe. There is only one God, and they have altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Verse 9, silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uppaz. The work of the craftsmen and the hands of the metalsmith. Metal Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the works of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And his wrath and the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. And so again, he's is telling them once, ago that he, once again that he is the king, he is the God of all the earth, and the nations will tremble, not just of Israel, but all the nations, and that he is the God of all the universe. He's the creator. There's none like him. Why do you worship the piece of metal that got fashioned into an image? There's a lot of things that can come into our lives that become idols in our hearts. And we need to be careful. Are those things a priority over the Lord? What do we turn to in our hour of need, really, honestly? And whatever that we are looking to, whatever motivates us in our life, whatever is the priority of our life, whatever we're turning to in our hour of need, that, that becomes an idol in our hearts. And maybe we don't have a statue up on a mantle in our house or, you know, an altar in the backyard dedicated to an idol. But what are we turning to? What are we living for? What is the priority of our hearts? And I think that's a good inventory for us to take of where we're at with the Lord. Because there are so many things that can come in and crowd the Lord out. And, and that happens to all of us. So here the Lord is saying, listen, I am the Lord. I am great and I am awesome. Those idols are nothing. The foolishness uh, of turning to those idols. And have you ever noticed that going through the Old Testament, as the Lord is rebuking the children of Israel for their idol worship, have you ever noticed that those idols not once helped them? Not once. Delivered them. Helped them. And it's true what the Lord says. They can do nothing. But as we continue, thus, verse 11, you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under those heavens. 
He has made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. It's interesting that you know, sometimes people will uh, read the Bible and they think it's just myths and fables and, and all of this. Here it's amazing. Here is Jeremiah, 2,600 years ago, talking about the hydraulic cycle of the earth. Uh, here is he speaks about that there's vapors ascend from the ends of the earth. It makes lightning in the rain. He brings the wind out of the treasuries. We know that, that wind currents carry the fronts and, and the storm clouds. And here Jeremiah is speaking about that. The Lord is great. He is awesome. His word is incredible. And everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge, verse 14. And, and every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. For they futile a work of errors, and the time of their punishment they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord had so much for them. He was to be their portion, their inheritance. What can these idols, what inheritance can they give you? They're going to leave you desolate. They're going to leave you in captivity. They're going to bring death and destruction because you won't turn to the Lord. You've turned to these idols. You're going to end up being held captive by the, uh, the very nation that uh, worships those idols. And the Lord wanted to remind them that I gave you the land. I brought you out of Egypt. I'm your inheritance. And, and it reminds me of the incredible inheritance that you and I have as uh, we read in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 as Paul is telling us of the spiritual blessings that we have. He takes us to the heavenlies and he, he says that I pray uh, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, whether the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Earlier, he talked about that we have an inheritance that is ours. In him, we have obtained, verse 11, an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, Paul's telling us, here's the spiritual blessings that we have. We have an inheritance in the Lord. We are adopted sons and daughters, and we are joint heirs with Christ as we learn in the book of Romans, as we learn in the book of Galatians. The heavenly inheritance that is ours is so incredible, we can't even comprehend it. So why would we want to pursue those things and prioritize those things that can't be compared to what we have in Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? We think about them. Why are you going after those idols? The Lord is your portion. He gave you an inheritance. He gave you the land. He wants to bless you. Why are you giving it up for a tree that you cut down or a piece of metal that you're bowing down to? But you see, the same thing can happen to us. 
And then as Paul writes at the end of chapter one, that prayer of Ephesians, he says that you may know what is the, the you know, hope of your calling and the inheritance that he has in the saints. In other words, um, as we look at that, uh, what is being said to us, and I want to make sure I read it to you right, uh, that in Ephesians, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, this is what's amazing. You are his inheritance. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, you are so valuable and you are so important to the Lord that he sees you as his inheritance. That amazes me. I think, why? Me? I'm your inheritance? You got a raw deal, Lord. But you are so special. You are so loved. And we know that Jesus proved that by going to the cross so that you could spend eternity with him, that you are his inheritance. And I pray that we would never forget that. That every day that we would enjoy that truth. And that we would marvel at it. That you are his inheritance in the saints. That you are so valuable. You are so precious that he sees you as his inheritance. Now I can rejoice that we're joint heirs with Christ and the heavenly inheritance that is ours. But man, I really am just blown away by thinking I'm your inheritance. Don't ever doubt the love of the Lord and how valuable you are to the Lord. Because sometimes we can think, Lord, do you love me? Do you care about me? Am I important to you? And Paul is saying that your eyes may be opened, that you come to understand this truth. What is the hope of your calling? That you have heaven. And what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? You are his inheritance. That's incredible to me. And as we ponder that and as we just make it our own, we'll never doubt the love of the Lord for us. So here we see, going back to Jeremiah chapter 10, that he's trying to get this truth. I'm your portion. Uh, I'm the maker of all things. Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. And then in verse 17, gather up your wares from the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will throw out at this time the inhabitants of the land. I will distress them that they may find it so. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe, but I say truly this is an infirmity and I must bear it. My tent is plunder and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me and they are no more. There is no one to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. In verse 21, for the shepherds have become dull hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Talking about the leaders, the shepherds, they're no longer seeking me. They've become dull of heart and now the sheep are scattered. You know, that's true today. That as a shepherd that I am to be seeking the Lord. I don't want to become dull of heart. I want to keep growing in the Lord. 
I want to keep growing in the word of God. I want to be able to feed you with knowledge and with understanding and have a heart for the Lord. I don't want to be dull hearted. I don't want to just see it as an exercise to get up here and teach the word of God. I see it as a privilege. It's an honor. I never want to take it for granted. To be able to have the privilege every week to teach the word of God and to feed you with knowledge and with understanding. And that means seeking the Lord and, and praying and studying, uh, being a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I pray for you that as you lead your family, dads and parents, and as you minister to others, that you don't become dull-hearted, that you become excited about the Lord. You continue to grow in the Lord. Don't be dull about the word of the Lord. And as you are excited, you're going to be able to minister to others in a very effective way. But here, the leaders, they, the flocks are scattered because they didn't seek the Lord. They were dull-hearted. They weren't given the word of the Lord. In verse 22, behold, the noise of the report has come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate, a den of jackals. Of course, speaking about how Babylon was going to come and take them off into captivity. In verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. And pour out your fury on uh, the Gentiles who do not know you. And then he goes on to say, and the families who do not call on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him, and consumed him, and made his dwelling place desolate. I was hoping my voice would hold out after doing three Calvary Lives this week and everything else, but we'll try to finish up here. But he's praying for, asking God for mercy, that he would chasten them and, and not wipe them out. And, and he says, correct me. And I hope that's our heart, that we would say, Lord, correct me, help me. Help me to... to to know you and to, to call upon you. And here he says, for they've eaten up Jacob. You know, that's what false living and false teaching and living after the world does. It will just eat you up. It will eat you up. And so he goes into chapter 11. We'll see how far we get with this. And the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of the covenant that speak of the man of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Curse is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do according to all I command you. So you shall be my people and I will be your God. In verse 5, that I may establish the oath which I sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. So as we move into this chapter, we know that the commandment spoken here, uh, the covenant spoken here is the Mosaic covenant. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. They came to the mountain of God, and, and, and they became a nation. 
But then as they came into the promised land, they, in the book of, of, uh, are getting ready to go into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, when you read chapters 27 and 28, he, he made a covenant with them. And that is, if you follow after me, then I will bless you. Um, and, and I'll bless the land. If you disobey me and go after false gods, then you're going to go into captivity. And, and there's going to be judgment that's going to come. So as you read about that Mosaic covenant that he made with them, that I'm going to give you the land. Now their ownership of the land was according to the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, I'll give you and your descendants the land. But their possession and enjoyment of the land was dependent upon their obedience. And so Moses, as he brought them, before they went into the promised land, he, he would bring them and reviewed the blessings and the cursings that we do read about in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And, and as they're uh, on two different mountains, Mount Ebal, uh, where half of the tribes were on, and then there was a valley, and then Mount Gerasim, uh, on uh, Mount Ebal, there was the curses that were pronounced if they were disobedient. And as you read that in chapter 27, after each curse was given, they would say, Amen. So be it, was the response of the people. And I find that interesting because here we see that, and I answered and said, so be it, Lord, as he's talking about they broke the covenant. Now, it wasn't that way when from uh, Mount Gerasim, they spoke of the blessings and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that you're going to prosper in the land. I'm going to defeat the enemy that comes against you. Uh, you're going to have a land that's going to produce the crops. I'll send the rains and all of this. So that's a covenant that they had broken. They had disobeyed the Lord. They had gone after false idols. And then as we continue in verse 6, we read that then the Lord said to me, uh, proclaim all these words to the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, obey my voice. So God had spoken to them through the prophets, exhorting them to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, but they refused to do that. And then in verse 8, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. So again, this covenant that he made with his people, because you have disobeyed me, you followed the dictates of your evil heart. Remember earlier that he had called them to circumcise your heart. You know, and, and he's dealing with their hearts because their hearts had idol worship in it and falsehood in it and every kind of sin uh, that was in it, adultery, greediness, covetousness, all these things. And he says, you've broken the covenant. And verse 9, and the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. And they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. And then as we read in verse 11, therefore thus says the Lord, behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape and though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. And then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense, but they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. 
You can call out to your false gods, but they're not going to deliver you from your trouble. You know, if we go through trouble in our own lives or we see the trouble around us, what are we going to turn to? What are we going to put our hope in? What or who are we trusting in? And here they were trusting in those false gods that were going to do absolutely nothing for them. All those false gods did was cause trouble for them. In verse 13, for according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. So do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Their hearts were so hard. These are harsh words that Jeremiah was told, don't pray for them. Don't pray, I think, that the Lord is saying that judgment won't come because the Lord is saying they're going to have to go through the captivity. They're going to have to go through it. You know, Isaiah tells us that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, he will not hear us. And sometimes people ask me about that verse. And it's not that the Lord doesn't hear us audibly, but if you have sin in your heart and you're praying, Lord, bless this thing that is sin and iniquity and and is not according to the word of the Lord, he's not going to bless it. I've had people come in my office and they're saying, I just praying that the Lord would bless this relationship. And they're talking about an adulterous relationship. You think God's going to bless that? He's not going to bless it. Or I'm so mad at you know, this person, I want to get even. I want to be vengeful. and I hope God blesses it. God's not going to bless that. If we regard sin in our hearts or iniquity in our hearts, he will not hear us. He's not going to be a part of that disobedience and sin against him. So that's why it's really important as he's talking about the dictates you know, of their hearts, their evil hearts, that we be ones that we say, Lord, here is my heart. Search me and try me. And if there's any wicked way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. That's what David prayed. And Lord, I don't want to be in disobedience expecting you to bless it or to honor it, because he won't. The anger, the bitterness, the lust, the iniquity, the sin, the carnality. So the Lord here is saying, you're going to go off into captivity because you refuse to turn to me. What has my beloved to do in my house? But notice here, he still calls them beloved. Having done lewd deeds with many, And the holy flesh has passed from me. When you do evil, then you rejoice. And the Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and a good fruit. He wanted them to produce good fruit. He wanted them to be, you know, know, like a, a healthy tree full of foliage, but they were all dried up and they were shriveling up and there was rotten fruit coming from them. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it and his branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil house of, the, of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense to Baal. And now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. 
But verse 19, I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with this fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, and his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. And in verse 21, therefore says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, remember that was the town that Jeremiah was from, who seek your life, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the man of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. So Jeremiah from that town, the people from his own town, this was a priestly city, plotted to kill him. They wanted to kill the prophet of God because they didn't want to hear any more the word of the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to deal with them. But I do want to just close with this tonight as we finish the chapter. That as you and I share the truth of God's word, that there are going to be those that will come against us, that will persecute us. And I think we may see more of that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, as our culture, our society becomes more ungodly. But you stay true to the word of God. Don't compromise. Because what we're going to see in the next chapter is Jeremiah, he's struggling with all this. You know, these people want to kill me. Lord, you know, avenge them, punish them. The Lord doesn't deal directly with Jeremiah saying, okay, this is what the plan is. He says, Jeremiah, I'm going to deal with you. Yes, calamity is going to come to them. I'm going to deal with them. But the Lord begins to deal with Jeremiah. That Jeremiah, you need to continue to get stronger, to grow, to be faithful. And that's what we're going to see in the chapters ahead. And that's what my prayer for us is that as we live in this ungodly society that's around us, that people are hostile to us, that Lord, help us to be strong, to be faithful, to continue to give others the truth of God's word and not back down. Because we can become afraid and we can compromise. And we can, you know, just kind of give in to what culture is dictating in our lives. Let's let the Lord dictate how we speak to others and how we live our lives that they can see the reality of Jesus Christ in our hearts. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for chapters that speak of judgment. And, Lord, we know that this was real, but it's telling us something of the urgency that we are to have in just speaking truth to others and standing on truth. And Lord, not to give in to those things that are false, but Lord, we want to grow in understanding and knowledge of your truth.